from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm uh, speaking to you from London, England, which is uh, a, a place that will answer the question, did Hillary Clinton just fall off the face of the earth? Uh, she was doing this book tour. She was everywhere and suddenly not in the United States. But she's, Of course, she's here in London doing a promotion for her book. What happened? Thank you, Fred. And um, so rest easy because you're not in London. Um, this was an inspiring week just past, an important week, a week that I think brought all of us to um, perhaps a better place uh, in our national discourse, to a a, a call for a return to decency in our national discourse was, uh, actually there were two calls, uh, one issued fairly solemnly and one in sort of more um, semi-jocular campaign mode, but both issued by former presidents of the United States, one who initiated torture and one who shirked his legal duty to investigate and prosecute us. I, I personally feel inspired, newly inspired. And now, ladies and gentlemen... Let us try to stem the tide to try is to succeed Let us try, the motto of the United States Army Corps of Engineers. And they're at it again. They're trying... Trying our patience, that is. Dateline Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Federal authorities, that is to say the Army Corps of Engineers, has approved a plan to allow South Carolina Electric and Gas, that's the electric and gas company in South Carolina, hence the name, to leave a slick of polluted coal tar in the Congaree River, rather than the alternative choice, which is cleaning it up. According to the Sun News of Myrtle Beach, the Army Corps of Engineers approved a permit this week allowing the power company, to cover the toxic-tainted coal tar, toxin-tainted coal tar, if you will, with stones or other material to hold it in place in the river, lest it try to get out. I don't know. Lest you see it, perhaps. The uh, company, South Carolina Electric and Gas, backed away from an original plan to dig up the coal tar and haul it away. And uh, any hands as to the reason why? Yes, you in the back. Expense, that's correct. Congaree River Keeper Bill Stangler says his group is considering legal challenges to the Corps' decision. State regulators have weighed in. You'd be glad to know. They say the coal tar in the river hasn't hurt water quality, although they admit testing has been limited. Well, why would you want to not limit the testing? You might find something. Or you might just bury the test with the colt. Hello, welcome to the show. She's a personnel. She got the notion. Does her job. 
From London, from Leicester Square, just at the heart of London, England, I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, it's such a smart world, don't you know? Connected medical devices help improve people's health in many ways. Allow doctors to adjust implanted devices without resorting to dangerous invasive procedures, transmitting vital medical data remotely, and performing real-time patient monitoring in intensive care units. But with those rewards come risks. Medical Internet of Things devices also present significant potential safety hazards security hazards, actually, and they're getting worse. A survey by security company Zingbox found that U.S. hospitals on uh, the next page, on average, have between 10 and 15 connected devices per bed. And yet you can't get the Internet on your phone. A large hospital can have more than 5,000 beds, every connected device, and the systems managing them is a target for hackers and malware. And the devices aren't often well protected. So uh, check in, won't you? A trend micro survey found that more than 36,000 medical devices can be scanned and found by a tool called Shodan. And a survey by researchers in Britain and Belgium uncovered security flaws in the communications protocols of the new generation of implantable cardiac defibrillators. Mr. Cheney, right this way. In 2016, Johnson & Johnson warned patients using its insulin pumps that a hacker could exploit a security hole in the device to overdose them with insulin, don't you know? Cheney, the aforementioned Cheney, actually had the wireless functions of his defibrillator disabled because it could be hacked in an assassination attempt. And an exploit named Medjack was found to inject malware into a medical device which then snakes through a network. And Forbes magazine reported that the global ransomware attack using the uh, malware exploit WannaCry hit medical devices using embedded versions of Windows XP. Well, what a good idea that is. You might think such devices would be among the most secure of Internet-connected devices because of the obvious potential dangers. But experts warn these are among the most vulnerable, more insecure than your, your uh, computer, your phone. 
Mike Nelson, pres- Vice President of Healthcare and Transportation for Security Firm Digicert, says one reason for the vulnerabilities is that many connected medical devices were manufactured 5, 10, 15 years ago without security planned in. Well, that was smart. Who thought of that? Give him a promotion. Give him a stock option. Many have only very basic levels of security at all, he says. Manufacturers haven't devoted many resources to device security. Quote, it's shocking some of the insecure systems we see being used, Nelson says. Apparently, he's easily shocked. Many of those devices use old, unsupported operating systems, hello Microsoft, that don't get patched. Others use Windows XP or even older versions of Windows, which are insecure. I know the feeling, babe. Just just talk yourself down. And don't get regular security updates or even counseling. Compounding the problem is that medical Internet of Things devices typically require controllers, much like you and me, which are usually PCs, says John Clay, Director of Global Threat Communications at Trend Micro. Healthcare practitioners tell me they cannot, they often cannot patch these systems themselves. If they do, it voids their warranties. Well, your warranties are your life, really, when it comes. It's a real problem, he says, when manufacturers aren't responsive or are slow to issue security patches. Or nicotine patches, for that matter. Manufacturers sometimes put restrictions on putting third-party antivirus software on the devices, says a chief information security officer at a um, network of physicians. Often, he says, the PC and the device itself don't use encryption, which makes them vulnerable. Why bother hacking medical devices? Well, two words, Dick Cheney. No, security experts say the device is a way to breach the defenses of healthcare systems. Typically, hackers aren't interested in manipulating the devices. Instead, they break into them to get onto a healthcare systems network from which they can attack or steal valuable information. Or plant ransomware. You've got to plant something. It's wintertime. Medical devices are low-hanging fruit, says Dr. May Wang, chief technology officer of Zingbox. They're, they're stepping stones to gain access to electronic medical records, which on the black market are worth at least 20 times more than a credit card record because they contain so much more information. So it's not... It's not that medical. It's not a medical device inside you. It's low-hanging fruit, and it's a, it's even smarter world when it comes to kids. Some smartwatches designed for children, of course, have security flaws that make them vulnerable to hackers, according to a watchdog. That's why there are watchdogs, and that's why they're smart things. Still, still, still smart things after all this time. The Norwegian Consumer Council tested watches from a couple brands. It discovered that attackers could track, eavesdrop, or even communicate with the wearers, i.e., your kids. But what do we tell the children? Well, ask the hackers. The manufacturers insist the problems have either already been solved or are being addressed. Hello, problems. UK retailer John Lewis has withdrawn one of the named smartwatch models from sale in response. So now it's not a smart sale, I guess. Smartwatches tested essentially serve as basic phones, allowing parents to communicate with their children as well as track their location. Some include an SOS feature that allows the child to instantly call their parents. The um, watchdog said it was concerned that the watches transmitted and stored data without encryption. There it is again. It meant that strangers using basic hacking techniques could track children as they moved or make a child appear to be in a completely different location. 
a consumer rights watchdog in the United Kingdom, which, that's the name of the organization, criticized the shoddy watches and said parents would be shocked if they knew the risks or if they touched a socket while in the bathtub. Spokeswoman Alex Neal said safety and security should be the absolute priority. If that can't be guaranteed, then the product should not be sold. But but that's just, that's, that's version 1.0, babe. Come on. Version 1.1 will fix that. It's a smart, smart world, ladies and gentlemen. And now... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol, Jr. Well, we start with South Korea assuring everybody that the Winter Olympics next spring, next winter in Pyeongchang, will be safe from North Korean provocations. Officials and executives from 120 embassies and companies in South Korea were hosted by the foreign ministry to explain the government's efforts for safe games. We will consider it our top priority to ensure the safety and security of each and every national team, the Olympic family, and all the spectators, said a foreign ministry official. We will thoroughly prepare so that it may be regarded as the safest Olympics in history. Just put a pin in that, won't you? The UN Olympic Truce Resolution, which has been adopted every two years since 1993 to cease all conflicts during the period of the truce, will be adopted at the UN General Assembly this November for the Pyeongchang Games. Well, that'll do her. Russia's President Vladimir Putin said this week the U.S. had put indirect pressure on the International Olympic Committee to block Russia from the Winter Games, adding it would be a humiliation for the country. The IOC is currently assessing if Russian athletes will be allowed to appear at the event in South Korea in January. In February, sorry, time flies. Athletes' world governing body, the IAAF, banned Russian track and field competitors from the last uh, year's Rio Games after a world anti-doping agency, WADA, report on a vast system of state-sponsored doping. We have no issue with the International Olympic Committee. They're very decent people. They're business people, but they depend on, ad- depend on advertisers, television channels, and so on, Putin said. These sponsors, in turn, are given unambiguous signals from certain American authorities. We're not just guessing about this. We know about this, said Putin. Russia denies any state-sponsored system of doping. There are two options, says Putin, either forcing Russia to compete under a neutral flag or not going to the Olympics at all. Either one is humiliation for the country and would cause serious harm to the Olympic movement, Putin says. He thinks it's a movement. Members of the IOC are being forced to sign up to a new set of ethical principles governing their behavior on issues including conflicts of interests, the accepting of gifts, and the use of tickets for the Olympic Games. The new rules, which go into far more detail than previous ones set out in the Ethics Code, have been introduced at a time when there are investigations into possible corruption surrounding bidding procedures for successive editions of the Olympic Games. And Dateline Bern, Switzerland, home of the Bears, Switzerland's federal government said this week it's prepared to pay almost 1 billion Swiss francs, it's $1.02 billion, towards Sion hosting the 2026 Winter Olympics. 
The Swiss Council voted to approve the proposed candidacy, which could still be stopped by public opposition. The project would be withdrawn if votes are lost. This comes three days after voters in Austria rejected a proposed 2026 bid by two-time host Innsbruck. They've done it twice, and they don't want to do it again. The reasons for Innsbruck's defeat were difficult to interpret, according to the United uh, to the Associated Press. Sion was left as the Swiss Olympic body's best option after voters in another canton rejected a proposal from Samoritz and Davos for a second straight time. You can't reject the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Well, let's start out with Brian Yanis at Fox News, who uh, did a report on a guy named Garofalo, who, um, whom he described this way in his on-the-air report. Garofalo is used to working under pressure. The Vietnam War veteran served seven years and was a member of the nation's first Navy SEAL team. He was awarded 22 commendations, including two Purple Hearts. You are a hero, but like most heroes, I don't like to hear that. You don't like to hear it. Why don't you like to hear it? Here's the answer to why he didn't like to hear it, because it wasn't true. All of Garofalo's claims turned out to be untrue, Yenis said in an on-air apology. At the end, he added, there are lessons to be learned from this. I should have done more to verify his information. I sincerely apologize to our viewers, especially our veterans and servicemen and women. Fox News in its own statement, said he didn't even serve in Vietnam, let alone the other stuff. He was never a U.S. Navy SEAL. <laughs> even though he showed us medals, Garofalo was not awarded two Purple Hearts or any of the nearly two dozen commendations he claimed to have received. The statement concluded, we apologize to our viewers, especially veterans and servicemen and servicewomen. Fox published the correction only after the Navy Times reported that Garofalo had fabricated his record and had falsely portrayed himself as a SEAL and Vietnam vet for years. It got bigger and bigger, Garofalo told Navy Times. What I did, I'm ashamed of, and I didn't mean to cause so much disgrace to the SEALs. What about to Fox News? CIA nominee for independent watchdog, that would be the Inspector General, Christopher Sharpley told Congress that he has never read the Senate's so-called torture report. He's been Deputy Inspector General at the CIA since July 2012. He said the classified disk containing the report was lost for a time and later found, but he never took time to read the whole document. It's embarrassing, he said, and I've apologized. Lost and then found. A Facebook post out of Fort Bragg it's in North Carolina, that featured two children in blackface makeup and being strung up like puppets has prompted an apology from the military site's family support program. The photo appeared on social media as a part of a Halloween event promoted by Fort Bragg's Family and Morale Welfare Recreational Support Group. 
It has since been removed and an apology has been issued. Fort Bragg family and MWR was made aware of a recent Facebook photo that was offensive and should not have been posted. The photo does not represent the views of our organization. We sincerely apologize for any offense caused and will work to ensure this does not happen. Again, the woman featured in the photo, who remains unnamed, also apologized over the weekend. She said this photo was taken at a Halloween event two years ago, no, last year, and was not intended to be offensive. She said, one of her two children featured in the photo was interracial. And some of my best friends... Oh. It's reminiscent of the kind of clothing young girls are likely to have worn in the 1930s and 40s. At a product description below the image of a model, a brown-haired girl with a smile on her face and her hand on her waist. For 25 bucks, your child can play the role of a World War II hero on Halloween, it promised. But the costume portrayed Anne Frank, whose diary chronicled the horrors of the Nazi regime. It was called offensive by numerous critics, including major advocacy groups. So HalloweenCostumes.com... A division of fun.com removed the item from its website and its spokesman apologized, saying offending people wasn't the company's intention. I guess if it were, they would have named the company offensive.com. I don't know. Images of the costume began circulating over the weekend on social media. Critics were disgusted. A misguided way of remembering a Holocaust victim, they said. And the outrage machine grinds on. Well, we'll see. A Staten Island principal, school principal has been caught plagiarizing a nearly 500-word letter from the Huffington Post and distributing it under his own name. A principal plagiarist, a plagiarist principal. Joseph Scarmato, principal of Tottenville High School, home of the Pirates. I would think it would be home of the Tots, but that's just me. He reportedly passed off a heartfelt back-to-school note as his own, despite cribbing it almost entirely from a 2013 piece published online by a Canadian professor. Of the 489-word 480 message sent by Scarmato, 432 were lifted directly from Huffington Post. The theft was noticed by an anonymous school staffer. You mind your own business? I was shocked to find out he completely copied the letter to us and did not even credit the original author. Source said, I find this to be hypocritical, especially since he has instituted new regulations against students plagiarizing others' works. Scarmato did change the spelling of the word honor in the message, taking out the U so you wouldn't know it was Canadian. And uh, the plagiarized principal hung up on Gothamist when they inquired of the uh, incident. He did tell the New York Post, I admit that this was a bad judgment call and that I did not set a good example for my students and staff. I apologize for my mistake and remain committed to serving my school community. Previously, he had sparked protests from the Tottenville student body, the Tots, three years ago when he instituted a dress code for all the young ladies that prohibited skinny jeans, tank tops, and short shorts, short shorts, and mandated all shorts and skirts must be at relaxed hand level, unquote. And whose hand would that be, sir? A London-based textbook publisher apologized and launched a review of its curriculum this week after an outcry about, after a nursing education book that reinforced stereotypes of religious and ethnic groups. Pearson Education, which has an office in Boston, has removed the offensive information from e-text versions of the book and future print editions in an attempt to have nursing students think through the many facets of caring for their patients. We reinforced a number of stereotypes of a number of ethnic and religious groups. It was wrong, said the spokesman. We should have been more thoughtful about the information we put into our curriculum. Among other stereotypes, 
The page included references to Arabs and Muslims considering pain a test of faith and saying that Jews are vocal and demanding. The page did not include any references to how Caucasians act. These assumptions are not evidence-based. The company took to Twitter to apologize and to publicize its efforts to correct our offerings. Hey, how are polls doing these days? They did so badly last... Oh, well, this year, the 2017 election in Calgary, in Canada, a polling firm, Main Street Research, predicted Bill Smith would win, a 13-point lead for him. He um, didn't win. His uh, opponent was re-elected with a 7.6-point lead over Bill Smith. Main Street Research has apologized. In a post on its website, the president, Kito Maji, said he watched with utter shock and embarrassment as our final prediction in the municipal election was completely and totally wrong. He told Global News immediately after the election that methodologies used by his firm in polling leading up to the vote were, quote, tried and tested, but added that something in the frame went awry. Why? Why do we even bother with polls, you would ask? No, I would ask. You, you just sit there. Or stand there. One of the most influential directors in British theater was forced to stand down from the company he founded after being accused of inappropriate sexualized behavior, the Harvey Weinstein effect spreading far and wide. Renowned director Max Stafford Clark, the former artistic director of London's Royal Court, was forced out of his own theater company, the Out of Joint Theater Company, after a formal complaint that he made lewd comments to a member of staff. The... uh, He had had a uh, stroke in uh, 2006, which left him using a walking stick in a wheelchair. A statement uh, uh, for Stafford Clark by one of his spokespeople say he wholeheartedly apologizes for any inappropriate behavior that made some former colleagues feel uncomfortable, adding it was never his intention to bully or harass. Uh, An actress told uh, the board of his theater company, that he said to her, quote, back in the day I'd have been up you like a rat, back in the day I'd have been up you like a rat up a drain pipe, but now I'm a reformed character. My disability means I'm practically a virgin again, unquote. So he apologized for that. Rat up a drain pipe, ladies and gentlemen. An image I think we can all cherish. The London Evening Standard has apologized to Solange Knowles for airbrushing her crown of braids from an image on the cover of its magazine. She was featured in the magazine discussing her upcoming album as well as the art form and cultural legacy for black women of braiding their hair. The newspaper had digitally removed Knowles braids from the cover of its magazine. The Harvey Weinstein effect continued. Several employees of the John Besh Restaurant Group, a prominent group of restaurants in New Orleans, have complained of inappropriate touching and comments. Quote, John Besh, I have been seeking to rebuild my marriage and come to terms with my reckless actions. I also regret any harm this may have caused to my second family at the restaurant group and sincerely apologize to anyone past and present who has worked for me who found my behavior as unacceptable as I do. A British member of Parliament has apologized for using offensive and unacceptable language at the party conference last month. Clive Lewis was filmed on stage at a fringe event in Brighton saying, Get on your knees, bitch! He was speaking to a man, but he apologized. 
I apologize unreservedly for the language I used in an event in Brighton last month. It was offensive and unacceptable. The BBC uh, correspondent for the area said the MP has told friends the comments were directed at a man during a boozy and sweary comedy event as part of onstage banter. You know, boozy and sweary, they're the comedy team. Microsoft has apologized to users of its Azure cloud in Europe who could not access some services for seven hours late last month. The reason for the snafu, an errant fire alarm. ESPN has apologized to the University of Washington for a stunt on a broadcast two weeks ago during the Washington Cal game, in which commentators took the team's weak non-conference schedule to task and used literal cupcakes to represent the Huskies' opponents during the first few weeks of the season. The uh, Miam Bialik, Mayim Bialik, uh, discussing the Harvey Weinstein effect, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times. She said, I've also experienced the upside of not being a perfect 10 as a proud feminist with little desire to diet, get plastic surgery, or hire a personal trainer. I have almost no personal experience with men asking me to meetings in their hotel rooms. Those of us in Hollywood who don't represent an impossible standard of beauty have the luxury of being overlooked and in many cases ignored by men in power unless we can make the money. Bialik initially addressed criticisms of that piece by writing that she felt like her words were being taken out of context and twisted, but then she issued an apology for the op-ed, stating bluntly, you are never responsible for being assaulted. I'm truly sorry for causing so much pain. I hope you can all forgive me. A few more apologies, ladies and gentlemen. Just stand by. Pain will end soon. Jeffrey Katzenberg, co-founder of DreamWorks, issued an apology to Molly Ringwald after a crude comment he allegedly made about the actress resurfaced online, specifically in an essay she wrote for The New Yorker. She recalled years of sexual harassment and a lewd comment by a certain Hollywood exec, the head of a major studio, and incidentally someone who claims himself to be horrified by the Harvey allegations was quoted as saying, quote, I wouldn't know Molly Ringwald if she sat on my face. Ringwald wrote, Maybe he was misquoted. If he ever sent a note of apology, it must have gotten lost in the mail, unquote. She didn't name names. She did mention the source, and Internet sleuths quickly traced the quote back to Katzenberg. He has now apologized, saying it was horrifying, mortifying, and embarrassing that Ringwald believed the comments came from him. Anyone who knows me now or back then knows I do not use language like that as a matter of course or tolerate it. Ms. Ringwald, 22 years too late, I'm deeply, deeply sorry. A Houston area school district has apologized after altering a high school homecoming queen's purple hair in a photo. Ebony Smith was crowned North Shore Senior High School's homecoming queen, but her hair had been altered to appear brown. She says the image was poorly edited and embarrassing. The school district has apologized for posting the altered photo. Leave the girl's hair alone, I think is the message from the Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. So, as I say, the um, the Harvey Weinstein effect has been widespread and um, it has gone into the fashion biz- industry as well as the restaurant industry. Uh, more revelations surely to come. And meanwhile, several reports this week, you may remember that Harvey Weinstein, who started all this by being Harvey Weinstein, uh, announced he was going into rehab and uh, several reports this week indicated that he had left rehab after a week. 
many were left wondering how that could happen. Power trip or sex addiction? Whichever your problem is, there's a one-week solution. It's the newly opened sex therapy wing of the Dr. Bill House. Hi, I'm Dr. Bill, and when I'm not mediating between crying and shouting spouses on TV, I'm treating A-type personalities at this new very exclusive and intensive wing of my world-famous residential therapy center. Sure, we used to specialize in one- or two-month personality makeovers for ordinary people with borderline abnormalities, but our new wing is designed to cater to A-list personalities and to design a treatment regimen to fit your schedule or that of your publicist. The mingling of sex and power is a complicated mixture. For a long time, I just preferred to treat ordinary people's ordinary problems on TV for an hour. But now... Thanks to a breakthrough I experienced on a weekend in Malibu, I'm ready to tailor a turbocharged sex and power therapy program to would-be second chancers like you. Maybe you'll spend a week with us, maybe less, but you'll walk out of your private entrance to the Dr. Bill House with your self-image completely retooled. Now, make no mistake, I haven't taken the steps to get my license to practice psychology reinstated. But if I can untie the knot that was Sinead O'Connor in three hours of television taping, I can tackle your tangle of abusive behaviors in less time than it takes to tape a sitcom episode. But you don't have to take my word for it, although that would be the first step towards a new you. Fast Track Therapy, the Dr. Bill Way, is waiting for you in the champagne wing of the Dr. Bill House. Ask your agent or lawyer about it today. And I'll see you in the world's hottest sauna. And moonlight It's so easy when you're in love When you have someone to cling to When your heart is not your own
From London, this is the show, and ladies and gentlemen, the uh, the week in the United States has been the news has been dominated not by uh, the continuing disaster in Puerto Rico. It's Puerto Rico, you know. They can, but um, the swirling, unstoppable story that grew out of a uh, tragic event in Niger. Yes, you can still say Niger, um, where four American servicemen were killed, uh, uh, special forces servicemen, in a um, still murky engagement uh, in the same way that Puerto Rico may turn out to be. Uh, keep, people keep saying that Puerto Rico may turn out to be Trump's Katrina. Um, Niger may turn out to be Trump's Benghazi. But who knows? Trump may turn out to be Trump's Trump. The... Uh, the story got legs because uh, the, the four soldiers, as I say, were killed. And um, a reporter asked Trump at a press appearance. He's doing more of those these days. I don't know if you noticed. He thinks now that helps. Um, why 12 days had elapsed uh, since the uh, incident and he had not commented. And uh, he made a point of saying that he'd called the parents and that uh, many presidents before him didn't do that. And uh, then that, of course, became news. Then the next day, a Florida congresswoman, uh, Representative Frederica Wilson, said she had been with in the car, apparently, with the mother of uh, Sergeant La David Johnson, uh, one of the uh, mothers, the Gold Star mothers that the president called. And had the call had been on speakerphone, and she, the congresswoman, had heard it and had heard the president say he knew what he was getting into. He knew what he signed up for. Uh, much controversy ensued. Uh, the president denied that uh, he called the congresswoman a liar. G- the president's chief of staff, Marine General John Kelly, uncharacteristically got up to the at the president's uh, press secretary's daily briefing and gave an impassioned talk. He had lost his own son, and he said President Obama hadn't called him, but he said it solemnly. But it was something, obviously, he had told President Trump that erupted out of the president's mouth, President Trump, in a different way. And um, he quoted the president, President Trump, as having said, 
he knew what he was getting into, and he he went forward anyway. It was a, a much more complimentary statement than if uh, you just took the first part of it at face value. And then General Kelly stepped into it by uh, talking more about the congresswoman and saying that uh, she he'd been at an event dedicating an FBI headquarters in Miami a couple of years ago and had heard her say, take credit for bringing the the money, the uh, congressional appropriation that would uh, pay for the building. And uh, videotape surfaced within hours proving that that wasn't what she had said. The congressman woman called him a liar. Um, so that, that that's been the week. And uh, as I say, it all it all started with with this very murky operation about which not much is known yet. And uh, the the question is really, how does the president go about healing all this? Hello, you've reached the Johnson household. No one can come to the phone right now. Please respect our machine at this time and leave a brief message. Bless you. Never had a voicemail bless me before, but... Go ahead. Uh, Go ahead. Okay. Hello, Mrs. Johnson. This is President Trump calling again. Believe me, I have to tell you how sorry I am that this whole thing has blown up like this, and I hope that nobody else is listening in on this message this time around, because that was a disaster to have a private conversation. Sure, sure. It's General Kelly. He's listening in on this end because that's his job. And he's doing such a great one, I can tell you that. Last time I looked, it's almost against the law for four-star generals to lie, isn't it? Get to the empathetic, sir. Anyway, I don't think there's ever been a better chief of staff. And he's reminding me now to tell you how sympathetic I am for you and your family at this moment. Empathetic, sir. (laughs) And now he's saying it should be empathetic. But here's the point. Whatever kind of pathetic it should be, that's what I am right now because of your terrible loss. And some of the critics don't even think I've ever experienced loss, so I can't possibly understand what you're going through right now. But if you've ever had a tax abatement deal for a major, major resort project blow up in your face in the last minute, just decimating a multi-million dollar naming rights deal, then you sure as hell understand loss, which I do believe me, I've been there. I mean, it didn't end up being a loss. We took the deductions against it, which we were entitled to do under the law, and we made out like the world has never seen. family, sir. Okay, enough about loss. Let me talk for a minute about your wonderful family. First of all, I will tell you this. Your son was a hero, a real American hero, and nothing the fake news says can take away from that, right? I mean, it's disgusting that they would even try. Sir, but sir, you know what I mean. Sir, sir the family. As I said at the press conference on Tuesday, which nobody picked up this part, but I said, you people seem like a beautiful, wonderful family, terrific family. As a matter of fact, I can tell you this, just from our conversation on the phone the other day, you seem like the kind of people I would like very much to have had in my family if things had turned out a little differently. Sir. What? I'm amazed it's a recording, but we talked about praising the family. Maybe just wrap it up nicely. All right, John, since the great General Kelly is reminding me of all the great presidential things I have to get back to doing, of which this is, of course, one of the most important. And what was it you called it, General? Sacred, which is such a good word, a really good word. We need more sacred in our beautiful country, and people like you are a good place to start. So let me just tell you, I am with you. 
I feel so very, very sorry about your sacrifice. Great, great. It pains Melania and me to think about what you're going through right now. But many people say that uh, God can give them strength at a time like this. So if I can give you lovely people a word or two of advice, stay sacred. I'll pick it up. Thanks very much for letting your machine take this call. And you won't think this is possible right now. But believe me, before very long, it will be, and I just say, let's make the Johnson family great again. Bye-bye. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Well, this this may be some rare good news in the uh, warm thing. The annual assessment of global greenhouse gas emissions, your GHGs, by the Netherlands Environmental Assessment Agency, confirms that carbon dioxide emissions have stalled for the third year in a row. The report provides updated results on the continuous monitoring of the three main greenhouse gases, CO2, methane, and political blather. Uh, I'm sorry, nitrous oxide. Global GHG emissions continue to be dominated dominated by fossil carbon dioxide emissions, which show a slowdown trend since 2012 and were stalled for the third year in a row in 2016. Russia, China, the U.S., and Japan further decreased their CO2 emissions from 2015 to 2016. The EU's emissions remained stable with respect to the previous year. India's emissions continue to increase. Stay away from the Vindaloo. Information on the other two greenhouse gases, methane and nitrous oxide, is only available uh, through 2012 because international statistics on agricultural activities, the main source of these emissions, are not updated as frequently as energy and industry-related activities. The data until 2012 shows a steady increase in global greenhouse gas emissions with an overall increase of 91% from 1970 to 2012. So if we're backsliding, we got a lot of backsliding to do. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now, little news of the godly. Nearly 1,000 pages of Archdiocese of Santa Fe court records were released to the public this week. That's Santa Fe, New Mexico. They include letters written that show church leaders knew about allegations of sexual abuse against three priests long before the priests left or were kicked out of the ministry. The records were released by the order of a judge and marked the largest release of archdiocese records since alleged victims of sexual abuse by priests began filing lawsuits against the archdiocese 20, 25 years ago. The records include a wide variety of documents from the Archdiocese personnel files, including letters written by three archbishops of Santa Fe, some corresponding with bishops of other dioceses. This is where the three priests lived and worked. The records comprise what have been the secret history of the careers of two former priests, Jason Sigler and Sabine Griego, who both live today in New Mexico, and Arthur Peralt, who's fled the country, you know, for the ease. The judge filed the order in response to a request by a local TV station. 
The Archdiocese says church leaders hope that disclosure of documents will serve as an additional step in healing for survivors, their families, our church, and communities. The uh, church, the Archdiocese had also disclosed a month earlier a list of clergy accused of sexual misconduct. Don't know how long that list was. Going forward, the Archdiocese intends to continue promoting transparency in its efforts to protect children and young people from sexual abuse by clergy or anyone else in the community, while at the same time being careful to respect the rights of those who may be falsely accused. The records paint a picture of a diocese that repeatedly assigned priests accused of sexually abusing children to posts where they could abuse again. They include letters and reports from psychologists to church leaders that detail allegations against the three. Perrault, who fled the country, you know, for the weather, is alleged to have sexually abused at least 38 boys in New Mexico. He was recommended for a teaching post at a high school in 1966 by a psychologist under contract with the servants of the paraclete in Jemez Springs. That's a religious order that ran a treatment center for pedophile priests. Good job. We'd like to recommend you consider parole for acceptance into permanent assignment to keep him either at the high school or college level, said the psychologist. He was sent there after he was accused of molesting some of the young men with whom he was working at the Archdiocese of Hartford, Connecticut. He ignited the clerical abuse scandal in New Mexico and he vanished from his Albuquerque parish in 1992, just days before an attorney filed two lawsuits alleging he had sexually assaulted seven children at his parish. He turned up last year after vanishing, he turned up last year in Morocco, working at an English language school for children, where he was subsequently fired. It's not clear where he is now. Fellow priest Jason Sigler far surpassed Peralt's victim count. Supervisory priests had numerous opportunities to take him out of circulation. He His trail through rural parishes in New Mexico, at least 63 young male victims who endured the full panoply, the full the full palette of abuse. He served uh, mainly in rural New Mexico parishes, but was given an Albuquerque assignment after he was stayed at that uh, facility, which is uh, designed to uh, cure, treat abusive priests. He um, had been a great help to the older priest residents, said a uh, letter from the priests in charge of that facility, and that he's been asking for his own church again. I feel that this would be good for him, and I'm confident we'll be able to be able to function responsibly, said the Reverend Joseph McNamara in his letter. After release from the facility and in charge of his church in Albuquerque, Sigler assaulted another 14 boys. News of the godly, ladies and gentlemen. It's a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And a uh, note about inspectors general. There's a there's a, a notch on the handle of the thing of the inspector general in Chicago, the city's office of inspector general. Uh, the result of that work is the Chicago Department of Aviation has fired two of its officers involved in that April incident where Dr. Dow was reaccommodated on a United Airlines flight by being dragged off the plane by uh, aviation police. You remember that, of course. The incident prompted a lawsuit and settlement by United. The investigation by Chicago's Office of Inspector General found that three aviation security officers and one aviation security sergeant mishandled the situation. Not, not the guy, the situation. 
according to the uh, office's third quarter report. The investigation also found that employees had made misleading statements and deliberately removed material facts from their reports. Acting on the Inspector General's findings, the Aviation Department fired the officer who improperly escalated the incident and the the sergeant who was involved in removing facts from an employee report, according to the Inspector General's office. He didn't remove the facts. He reaccommodated them to a different thing. The other officers were suspended. The Aviation Department confirms that a review of its policies and procedures was underway, will be complete by the first quarter of next year, taking every action in our power to ensure that an incident like this never, ever occurs again, said spokeswoman for the Aviation Authority. So, score one for the Inspector General. News of Inspector General, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And finally, the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission has determined that a fault found at Duke Energy's Catawba nuclear power plant in South Carolina has a low to moderate safety significance. It'll be under increased oversight. An electrical component on one of the emergency diesel generators failed during a test. Inspectors reviewed the event and determined that the plant staff had failed to adequately develop and adjust preventive maintenance activities using operating experience, maintenance history, and performance records. There'll be a supplemental inspection, of course. This is, a, you know, just a component on one of the emergency diesel generators, that's all. Ladies and gentlemen, nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry your pretty little head about. Clean, cheap, safe, too safe to meter. Our friend, the Atom. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world, through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the East Coast of North America by the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet 7.49 mo- more nine megahertz shortwave on the mighty 104 in Berlin, on the mighty Soho Radio right here in London Town, around the world via the internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want it. HarryShare.com and KCSN.org. Or have they changed their uh, URL? I have to check on that. Remind me to check on that, won't you? Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com, iTunes, and WWNO.org. And it'd be just like Everybody apologizing for lying. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh huh. Show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead. To Thomas Walsh at WWNO in New Orleans, and to Adrian Bodnam here at Global Radio in London. 
for help with today's program. The email address for this program, a playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts all at harryshearer.com, and I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from London.